pandemic year. Just even if we're not in it, it, it kind of shapes our life. So um, Nick and I had kind of talked a little bit about what, to, what should we do during the summer? What, you know, the, should we carry on with sin? Um, and it kind of, <laughs> it kind of just like t went down the list of priorities for a while, and then and then Nick was like, "Oh, it's summer," <laughs> um, and he said, "I wonder what we should be doing." And immediately this phrase popped into my head, and so I just said it to him: "The joy of the Lord is my strength." And he looked at me, and I said, "The joy of the Lord is my strength." And he said, "Are you saying that should be our next series?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes." <laughs> Let's keep it simple, right? But then um, he knows that I say things like that, and like I'm very direct, but often I'm I don't mean to be that direct. So um, we've been sitting on it for a while, and um, I think what kind of confirmed it for us, so that he knew it wasn't just something that you know, like a random thought that popped into my head, was a couple of days later, um, a student who uh, won't be here for the summer said, "Oh, what are you guys going to be doing during the summer?" And we kind of looked at each other, and I said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> and Grace said, oh, that's funny, that's my verse. <laughs> so I said, your verse? <laughs> and then the student that was with us said, oh, that's funny, because I just wrote that verse on all the little notes that I wrote for all the students I was saying goodbye to. And so there were two, these two extra kind of little oh, that's funny, out of all the verses in the Bible, that these two should be kind of important to the people in the room. And so that kind of, I think Nick was like, oh, okay, maybe there's something in that. And so then he got sick this week. So I said, would you like me to preach for you, Laz? <laughs> yes, please, I'm very tired. So I said, okay, I'm preaching on the joy of the Lord as my strength. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Um, and so I think... Uh, it might be what we continue with. And I said to him, after he'd heard what I spoke on tonight, he could, and the rest of the staff and leadership can decide if that's what it is. But um, it was amazing because I had just had this phrase. And so when I started praying about, Lord, what do you want to say about this tonight? Obviously, I went straight to the scripture where it says that, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's in Nehemiah. And... As soon as I started reading, the Lord just started to say, these are the things I want to say. And it's specifically about how do we respond to sin. So that was like, oh, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> it just gave me a huge amount of excitement and joy myself. So I'm excited to talk on this tonight for that reason, that it wasn't just a random thought in my head. Like, the Lord really has something to say. Um, and so... Um, why, why is joy important? Well, I think that first of all, the word joy is something, it's a very kind of common word that we use as Christians, right? Um, we see the word joy used a lot in scripture. Um, and I think that sometimes it's a little bit like love or peace. <laughs> it's one of these words that's supposed to define our Christian life, but often we don't really understand what is meant by joy? What is, what, is it, what is different about it? And I think in our world, in our earthly experience, there's some words that we kind of pick up on and we're like, oh, well, enjoy. So it, does it mean like 
like God helps me enjoy life? Or, because the word enjoy means like have pleasure or, you know, have fun. Or, and so we kind of pick up on that. And then um, there's, there's, I've heard preached many times, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in your suffering. You know, the, this rejoice is used as this kind of like, come on, guys, buck it up. You can do this. You've got to be happy through your suffering. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's almost like a command. And, um, and I always thought when I heard that, like, well, how, how do I do that? Like, I'm struggling. How do I rejoice? <laughs> Where do I get it from? You know, do I pray more and ask God for it? What does it feel like when it comes? There's so many questions around it. It's just this word that's supposed to mean something. And for me, it just was a little confusing. And I think that also rejoice is often used as a, well, you should be feeling joy because you're a Christian. So why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? You should be feeling joy. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so there's a, this tiny little bit of guilt and shame that comes in when we're not feeling joyful, right? Well, why am I not feeling joyful? Have I, have I done something wrong? Am I far away from the Lord? And so this word carries a lot of baggage, I think, in the ways that it's used. And so tonight I want to start off with hopefully a series of um, looking at what joy really means kind of in the kingdom of God. What does it actually look like in our life? How do we recognize it? And also, how do we step into it? Because joy is something that we know comes from the Lord, okay? It's, it's in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. So it's something that develops in your life as the Holy Spirit works in your life. So we know it's from the Lord. Um, we know that joy characterizes God. It's one of his qualities. Um, but he also asks us to step in. So we're not just supposed to kind of do whatever and hope that it comes. He asks us to, to do certain things to partner with him in that joy, and then we'll see it grow. So tonight I'm starting with this verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we'll, we'll talk in later weeks about different ways that we can step into joy through different practices. So let's go to Nehemiah 8. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because there's lots of like li lists of names and things like that. So just to keep it shorter. Um, leading up to chapter 8, um, most of you probably know the story of Nehemiah. Um, he was not a priest. He was a secular um, leader in the court, in the secular court. And the Jews had been given back their territory after years in captivity. And Nehemiah was in the, in the foreign court and he heard about the fact that Jerusalem's walls had fallen and it brought him great sorrow. And so he asks the king for permission to go back to Jerusalem and help the people of Israel to rebuild the walls. And he has great favor in that and he gets permission and he gets resources to go and do that. And so chapter 8 comes after that has all happened. 
um, with many miraculous things happening so that Israel is able to rebuild the walls, their enemies are wanting to attack, but they are unable to attack, and the, the Israelites um, create this place of safety together in which they can now build a new community and a place of worship. So, um, at the end of the seventh month, so it took seven months to build, we complete chapter seven, and then it goes straight into this, chapter eight. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then verse six. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So what God is doing here is that the people of Israel have been given this place of safety. And before God moves into anything else, he calls the people together and he um, has the law read to them. And this is the law which Moses had written down, the law of Israel. And the people's response is that they realize that they've been sinning, that they've been living away from God's law. And their response is grief. Their response is weeping and mourning. But before there is a period where God says, right, you've sinned, now this is how you should live, or let me help you to obey, there's this strange thing that happens Nehemiah is, is led by God to say, why, why are you weeping? Stop weeping. Why are you weeping? Go, go and have a party. <laughs> and when I first kind of read this with, you know, the perspective of, you know, what has joy got to do with all of this? I thought, well, this is this, a kind of strange order of things. You know, you kind of expect the joy and the celebration to happen right at the end, when everything's perfect, right? Everything's in order, everyone's living like they should. But it's 
right at the moment where they are grieving for their sin, that the Lord says, stop weeping, this is my day, let's party. And um, I love this because the verse doesn't say, repentance is your strength. The verse doesn't say, sorrow is your strength. It doesn't even say, making retribution for your sins is your strength. Making things right. It doesn't say any of those things. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what does this mean? Why is this important? First of all, I feel that God is, is trying to change our perspective on how we see sin. And I think over this last period, we have had a time of really going in deep and saying, what areas in my life have been out of God's purpose for me, out of the way that he designed me to live in his will? And that at times is painful. It brings us grief, it brings us sorrow, and not just the sins that we've committed, but also the sins that have been committed against us. And not just other people's sins, but also just the sinfulness of the world. So those three areas can become a real source of mourning for us. And I felt that at the end of this period where we have been looking at really God's law, how did you design us to live, Lord? And seeing how we and others and the world fall short, that there has been a period of grieving. There has been a period of heaviness, and I think some of us have felt that. And I felt like what God was saying to us today is that's good, I call you to do that. I remind you of that. You need reminding of that. But I want you to remember, repentance is just a moment. He does not call you into a period, a long period of repentance. That he doesn't call you into a long period of beating yourself up, um, trying to make things right with the people you've hurt, or um, being burdened with the, this weight of your sin in some way to kind of, well, I deserve to carry it. Do you know what I mean? He's saying tonight, the repentance is just a moment. It's a turning. It's the moment of saying, oh, I haven't been doing it right. I'm so sorry. And then God says, get up. This moment is holy to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus died so that you could repent, and at that moment you are righteous. As soon as you repent, it's a moment. And at that moment, you are now holy to the Lord again. And he says, this is holy to the Lord, and so I'm calling you, go and celebrate. It's amazing to me how when God says something is sacred, he doesn't say, oh, well, this is sacred, so you must keep it pure and don't do anything that might ruin it. Don't have too much fun. 
just keeps solemn and serious. <laughs> he doesn't say anything like that. He says, get up, go to your community, and eat fat things and sweet things, which is basically like cake or donuts or ice cream, right? <laughs> I love that God from the beginning knew that when we celebrate, we need fat and sweet stuff mixed together, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world, that is what it is. That's a party, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. I wonder what the Israelites' like version of donuts was. <laughs> I'm sure we could find it out somehow. I'd have to look it up. So, I think that what, the mistake that we make when we repent is that we still have this idea that somehow we have to do something to make that act of repentance really work, right? It's not going to work unless I pay some kind of price for what I've done. That's a lie. The whole of Scripture says you cannot pay that price. It is too much to pay. It always will be. Only Jesus could pay that price, and he paid it. And I think that um, we step out then in the sense of carrying, even if we deny it, still a little bit of guilt and shame about whatever that we've done. And we think, well, if I can just somehow make the injustice that I've caused, if I can make it right, then I will have done my bit. And then God will forgive me. But he can't do that until I show that I'm really repenting right? We, just, we have an idea that like repentance is repenting, but also you've got to show it, so you've got to go out and do these things, and then you'll be forgiven. Scripture doesn't say that. I'm not saying that you can't make recompense, but that will come, it must come, out of an outpouring of the love God has put back into you. And so what I mean by that is, if you go out and try and make things right out of your own feeling that you have to somehow do something to make it right in your own strength, it's coming out of your guilt and your shame. It's coming out of you trying to find the strength to make this injustice right. You're trying to do Jesus' work for him. Instead, you can be fully forgiven. And when you are fully forgiven and you are God's holy day or place, person, you are holy and you are set apart again for him, then he calls you out of love. He will pour into your heart a sense of, oh my gosh, I hurt that person so much. The love will pour out of you and you will walk in that, and, and God will help you to know how to make it right with that person. And you know what? Sometimes it's not, you're not called to go and do that, because I have seen before, when somebody's hurt someone else, the last thing that person wants is for you to go and say, I'm such a terrible person. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done it. Do you know what I mean? And actually, there's a lot of research done that people who have been in a traumatic situation if you take the, the criminal, whoever's hurt that person, and you say, go, you, that person must go and repent to the, the victim, 
the last thing the victim needs is for that person to come and say, well, I've repented, I'm so sorry, that they don't want to ever see that person again. Every situation is so different, and if we jump out of our own guilt and shame and try and fix things, without having that, I am now set apart from the Lord, for the Lord, I can receive his wisdom on how I can make this right. That is, that is the heart that we need to step out in. Um, it's the same when we see injustice in the world, right? If we are trying to step out and fix things all the time, without having that sense of, Lord, I have been set apart because of what Christ did for me. We cannot fix the injustice of the world in our own human strength. So what has joy got to do with all of this? I think that if we move through this um, process that we have kind of learnt about where we recognize our sin and then we repent of it. The Lord has convicted us. We repent and we receive his forgiveness. Then what? If we don't move from that to celebration, I believe what God is saying to us is if we don't turn our face to what Jesus has done and accomplished in that moment and say, it's done, I can celebrate, then we stay stuck in focus, uh, the focus on our sin. And so we, the, the thing that comes into our head is next, oh my gosh, I need to stop that happening again, right? The sorrow, you're stuck in the sorrow. You're stuck in the sorrow for the sin. And it's the same when someone sins against us. We can be stuck in the sorrow. We all know the world right now is a reason for mourning. And we can be stuck in the sorrow in the mourning because of the sin that we see. God is showing us that a key part of repentance is turning our focus away from what has just happened to a celebration of what Jesus has accomplished. And what does that look like? Okay, that, this is, it's great to think about it. Okay, great, what do I do? Like, try and be happy about it? <laughs> no. This is a gift from God. And I think the first way that he taught us how to recognize it is that he's given us things in our life that feel the same way. Okay, so when I say the word joy, I was thinking, what does that bring up for me? And I think some people think of the word joy as like, oh, happy, or I'm really glad. Do you know what I mean? Like a kind of a, just a general daily happiness. But joy is actually a very specific feeling. And the best way that I can think about it is, there's two situations that it can happen in. In both, it's a sense of you've been hoping for something and suddenly it happens. So, Joel has recently had a moment of joy when his fiance said yes, right? How did that feel? It was like a, <gasps> right? Even, though, even if you're expecting it, it still feels like, <gasps> and it's 
it's more than just, oh, I'm so happy. It's like a, like a fulfillment of something you've been holding in your heart and desiring. And it's not just a fulfillment, but it's, it's such a good thing. It's some, I think God has chosen these things in our lives where he teaches us, this is what the joy of heaven feels like. And I know you don't have it often in this life, but we have these moments he has ordained. When you see that heartbeat on the scan, <gasps> there's that sense, right? And there's smaller things that happen. Like if you've been, if you've like never run a race in your life and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try and get fit. And then you start walking and then you like, finally you run 5Ks in 45 minutes. Hello. And like, oh, I ran 5Ks and I've never run anywhere in my life. <laughs> it's very exciting. But imagine entering a race and getting through that and you've got the medal. That is joy. That's a sense of, I did it. I, I wasn't sure if I could, but I did. And so it's a hope, but it's also such a fulfillment of hard work, of sacrifice. And the ultimate um, expression of this in Scripture is where it says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Think of the cross as a race. Terrible analogy, I know, but he knew what winning would feel like, right? I think that people who like get addicted to marathons, <laughs> they know what that feels like at the end, and, it's, and they're like, I, for that joy, I am going through this sacrifice because it's so worth it. It's an accomplishment. It's something you pay for with your body and you pay for with pain. And at the end, you've accomplished your heart's desire. Imagine the joy that Jesus felt when he said, it's done, Father, it's done. When he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Can you imagine the joy they shared as they looked at each other? I know that this is like 3D. This should be in like 600D. Jesus and God looking at each other. <laughs> but that's how I picture it. The, just that moment of joy they shared. And so I would love all of you to try and think of a moment that you felt that in your life, maybe the most recent one, if you haven't got married and haven't had kids, um, think of the moment some, that you, someone you love, and it might not be love as in romantic, it might be just your grandma, walks into the room and you were surprised. Grandma's here for my birthday. I didn't realize she was coming. It's, it seems small, but it's the same feeling, right? It's the same feeling when you see your child take their first steps or their first laugh. I think that we go through the suffering of parenthood because of the little moments of joy right through. Like, you totally get addicted to them. You'll be like, oh, so hot, and they won't go to sleep, and they're screaming, and then the next day they do something like add two plus two or something, and you're like, oh, they were so amazing. <laughs> like, I think God designed us that way to get us through parenting. <laughs> and we still have them. Like, our kids are, you know, adults now, but we still have these moments of joy, and they really are mind-blowing. <laughs> they don't get it. 
So I want you to think about joy and repentance. Sin, repentance. The next thing God's calling us to is joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What he's saying is, as in the moment that you repent, take your eyes off the sin that you're leaving behind. Don't start to think, oh, well, how am I going to control things so that I, this doesn't happen again? You're fixing your eyes right back on the sin, right? Instead, turn your eyes to Jesus and think about the joy of what he accomplished. And say, Lord, I want to feel that joy. I want to feel that joy at what you've just done in my heart right now. Teach me to understand that again. And later on, we'll talk about different ways in life that we can step into this joy of the Lord, this gift that he gives us, not the joy of the world, but the supernatural joy that comes, you, in Scripture it says, comes in all situations, in suffering. God will bring it. And we can learn to step into it. But I, want, I think that we're supposed to start here, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not just a verse to put on your wall. What it means, and it's right in the context of the strength that you need to walk away from your sin is not your self-control. It's not managing your environment. It's not accountability. The first thing, the strength will come from the joy of what he's done for you. Hold on to that first. The other things will come. So let's pray. Lord, we do spend so much of our life trying to manage sin not just our own, but other people's sin and the sin of the world around us. And sometimes, Lord, it just becomes so overwhelming. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that you'll help us to see that you've designed us in the moment of repentance to turn our eyes back to you. And just be part of that eternal moment where Jesus is seated on the throne next to the Father. And they look at each other. And there's that joy. I did it. We did it. It's done. Let's have cake. <laughs> Lord, you've given us this um, gift of celebrating that we do throughout our life. It's kind of this strange human thing that we do. Lord, we know that it's something you've put in us. I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts to see that that joy of celebrating is not just for these life milestones. It's actually something you've put in us to learn the joy of heaven. 
Teach us, Lord, what it feels like when the angels, when it says the angels rejoice at one soul that is lost being found. They're rejoicing. They're like, oh, they made it. Help us to connect again, Lord, just to all the ways that joy fills the kingdom of heaven in so many different ways and that our strength comes from that. Our strength doesn't come from the serious control, authority, rules. That's not where our strength comes from, trying hard. Our strength comes from these moments of delight, this delight that you share together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, delighting in each other and delighting in what you've done to bring us back into friendship with you. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will mark our minds and our hearts and our spirits with joy this week. And Lord, help us to choose joy. In Jesus' name.